Mac Power Users, episode 541, WWDC 2020. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Stephen Ackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? Good. I have to admit, I was a little bittersweet this morning watching the keynote. I had a really good time. I watched it with a bunch of friends, but I didn't watch it with you in the room where it happens. It's a little sad that we're all apart this year. This is the first WWDC I've not been in person at since 2013, so it's a big change. Yeah. That being said... I feel like I've been just as busy as if I was there. Mm-hmm. And Apple surprised us this year. They they had a lot more announcements than I expected. I really expected the Snow Leopard announcements. Hey, everybody. Global pandemic. Uh, we had some bugs to fix anyway. Not a whole lot new this year. Yeah. And our Macs. I thought we were going to get our Macs, too. But there's a bunch of stuff as we go through uh, our summary of what happened that caught me off guard. Yeah, so some meta notes real quick. We are recording this a couple of hours after the keynote. The State of the Union just ended. So as this week unfolds, there'll be more information that comes out. So this is based on what we know after just a few hours of reading stuff. So there may be things that we don't get quite right or we don't know that you may know in the future listening to this. So please forgive us for the weird uh, time shift there. Yes. Future you, please be generous to us. Yes. But I, I did watch the entire keynote and I watched the entire State of the Union, took copious notes and have been doing research, but I do believe, and uh, both of us have installed betas. I've got the beta on my big iPad Pro and you've got it on your iPad mini. So yes. we, we have line research here as well as we talk through the show. Yep. And I'm, I'm slowly downloading the macOS beta for my laptop, but it's halfway through it. It says that a seven hours left. So it's, that's taking its sweet time. Yeah. You didn't put it on your phone already? No. It won't go, it won't go on my phone until much much later. Yeah. Uh I did I did want to mention real quick before we uh dive into all of this because we've gotten a few emails about it. Relay FM, we have kind of relaunched our membership program and one of the new perks for a lot of the shows including Connected, another show that I'm on, is member only versions of the episodes uh david and i we are working on ideas for this but we're not quite ready to to launch anything but we did want to share that we are thinking about it uh so you can check out and see what like connect and upgrade are doing you know extra segments that sort of thing and uh we will be listening to feedback if if you guys have stuff that you want to see in a sort of a members version of Mac power users, uh, let us know. Cause we are thinking through that and, and hope to move into something like that a little bit later this summer. Yeah. We, we want to bring more if you guys want it, but you know, enough of you have to want it to make it worth the trouble. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff people are doing, we, we're already doing it. We got a free forum. We got a newsletter. We got, we got a lot of this stuff already, uh, that you get just because we love you. So we're trying to figure out where we fit best, but we will have something Stay tuned. Yep. And uh, we're doing this show live, which is kind of fun. Yeah, we are. It's not something we do super often, but we figured, hey, it's uh, such a fun week. And because kind of people are at home, we thought we would record this one live. Uh, so it is live as we speak, um, going out to a bunch of people. So that that's always a fun, a fun thing, too. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you just want to start at the top? Yeah, we can either go chronologically or we can kind of pick and choose. Uh, I'll follow your lead with what you want to do. 
let, let's start from the top because okay. you know they had they had an order they had a plan uh they saved the most interesting stuff in a lot of ways to the end because so many changes on the mac yeah but uh but it was interesting the way they went through today uh, one of the observations i'll make about this keynote if you haven't watched it at home this was one of the most efficient keynotes i've ever seen apple put on they were just flying through these segments there were no silly ar demos there was no game demos it was like we got this bam 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 and here's the guy from the next platform and um i thought that was good i liked that part i like the format a lot i think it was all pre-taped i don't think any of that was live oh yeah definitely i like that they were a large number of people who weren't the sort of regular white men that are at the top yeah. of apple i thought that that was really great and i think they did a really good job with hey this is different right so we see different presenters in different parts of apple's campus they sort of played some jokes with that about like the secret mac lab being under the fountain in the middle like way underground i got a chuckle yeah, out of that, that. great we saw kevin lynch in the fitness center I think they did a really good job with this. And while I really do hope that WBDC becomes an in-person event again in the future when the pandemic subsides, I got to say, I really like the way this came together. Yeah, the first couple times they did the Zoom from one place to the next, I thought it was kind of cheese. And then I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. We're seeing different areas that I may never get a chance to see in person. And also... Is it just me or has the fitness center done a number on Kevin Lynch? That guy's fit now. Yeah, he's got a beard. He's got shaggy hair. I like the new Kevin Lynch. Yeah, I mean, the long past are the days that he was in fights with Apple over Flash. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but the uh, no, it was it was great and it, it was well represented. They had uh, people of color. They had women. They had uh, people with disabilities. And it was, you know, but it. I think in typical Apple fashion, these were not people brought up there just because of, you know, uh, that they were brought up because they, their titles, you could see there were people that were working on these projects and it's great. You know, I think that's the way it should be. Totally agree. Anyway. Uh, also as a keynote aficionado, they changed their presenting mode for the forever. They've had the gradient gray with the, um, with the simple type on the back. They've got these big letters. It, it, they just kind of changed their slides, even though they barely had any slides, but I thought that was kind of interesting from a presenter point of view. Yeah, it was really it was really fluid from the slides to demos and other things. Like I said, I just I really liked it. Well, another point, um, I actually made I made a quick take kind of thing post at Max Sparky right after the after it ended. One of the things that stood out for me is all the presenters were much more relaxed. Um, the uh, it just felt to me like you know when you've got a video camera as opposed to thousands of people in a room, and if you make a mistake, you just start over again. Um, I never realized how tense I was for the presenters watching this thing, you know, cause you know, this is not what the reason they were hired. They were hired cause they were amazing engineers, not because they were amazing presenters and you know, they're out of their comfort zone and you feel for them. And I actually was less uh, tense watching it. If that makes sense. Except, except Johnny, it was Saruji. Um, he had his hands and fists the whole time. Like he wanted to punch me, but I knew he <laughs> just, he just wanted to punch the Intel with his new Apple Silicon, but either way, uh, no, I thought it was great. And it was, it was fun. Like you, uh, there's a lot of reasons to have it in person, but they did a great job making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. I think it was great. 
iOS, not iPhone OS. Part of me was hoping that they would call it iPhone OS again, but I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, it was rumored. I, d- I didn't think they were going to do that, but there's a lot of stuff in here. But at the same time, it kind of feels like a smaller year for iOS. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's it's useful customer-facing stuff, not necessarily deep under-the-cover stuff. Mm-hmm. This year, that's kind of a general theme of a lot of the stuff they announced. Although I'm going to put a big asterisk next to the Mac. Yeah. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the app library was the first big announcement they made. And it's, you know, they, they dealt with the problem that all of us have. They're like, I know it's on my first screen. I kind of know it's on my second screen. When you get beyond that, it's just, you know, the wilderness. So they've come up with a system to auto organize your apps for you. And they're so confident that you even have the ability to turn off those additional screens that show all those apps and, um, and look great. You know, it demos well. Now, like in the past, they had the Siri suggestions where it's supposed to surface the apps you're going to want to use right now, which have been okay. Um, I, this is something we just have to see working. Yeah. It's an interesting take on what we've seen elsewhere. Like Android has the app drawer, Apple's doing things a little bit differently than that. I'm very curious on how the auto sorting will go. I, I think I'm going to want to sort mine pretty manually, and it's just a little unclear how that how that works at this point. But yeah, it's going to really, I think, keep phones a lot more tidy, and that's that's good, right? Because everyone has just you know three, four, five pages, or they have folders, or um, I guess we can all pray for the people who manage their home screens based on app icon color. That may be a lot more difficult now. But those people, you know, I never got out of that bandwagon, so I'm not that sad. Yeah, I, I do feel like they could write an algorithm to sort of apps by icon color, though. So you never know. Maybe oh, yeah. that's an option. But the um, <laughs> but it's not an option on the currently shipping version of iPad, um, the, yeah. uh, the beta I just checked. Uh, I, I think it's interesting, and we'll just see how it works. I, like, I was thinking about things that they've done similar in the past. Another one is Stacks on the Mac desktop. Mm-hmm. which I feel like is kind of an edge case use, you know, looking at the people in my house, you know, before we started recording day, I went and looked at everybody's Macs. Nobody's using stacks except me. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll just see. But uh, they, they're finally kind of looking at that home screen saying, okay, do we dare mess with it? And mm-hmm. that kind of gets to the next topic, which is widgets. And there they indeed mess with the home screen. Yeah. And, like the other stuff, this seems to be iPhone only in the current, the first beta, it's not there on the iPad. I thought oh, they oh, said... it is. It is, brother. It you know, is. It's not on the mini then. I can't get it to work. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's great. Yeah. On the iPad mini, they're just pinned to the left like they've always been, but I can't rearrange them. Okay. You can't get them off of the left side of the screen, but okay. you can run their new dynamic widgets. Okay. And there's lots of cool stuff you can do just playing with this. One thing they didn't show in the keynote, or at least I didn't notice, is you can stack them on top of each other. Yeah. So, like, if you want the full-size calendar, but you also want the full-size shortcuts widget, just hypothetically, uh, you can put them in the same place, and then you swipe on it, just like you're swiping between photos in the Photos app or any of the other places, and it'll change between those two. Same thing, like, if you don't, if you want the battery life there, but you don't necessarily see it all the time, you can put it behind the music, and... uh so you can have like the top level and you can, I, I don't know how many levels you can go down, but I've, I've got one here with three. Um, I think they go as deep as five. They have one, you know, that smart one they make for you for you has five in it. So 
this is going to be something that's going to kind of change your game in terms of your home screen. I'm mm-hmm. going to all those home screen posts on Max Sparky are going to look antiquated once people start getting this yeah. on their devices. Yeah, I do hope on the iPad that you can move them around like you can on the phone. I think that would be even nicer on the iPad and the phone. Maybe it's coming, maybe it's not. But uh, one thing they pointed out in the sort of stacking widgets thing is that iOS will get smarter about what you may want to see at a given time. So maybe you want to see your calendar during the workday and activity rings in the evening. That generally doesn't work in other parts of the OS where they try to suggest things at a time. <laughs> and so I'd be very curious to see how this how this uh, plays out. But I could see myself using the stacking widget thing to swap between ones that maybe I want you know during the week or on the weekend and kind of doing it manually. Yeah, well, that's a specific widget called the Smart Stack, and mm-hmm. that that's the one that uses the machine learning to try and figure you out. Yeah, but you you can choose to put that on or not put that on, and if you put on the other ones, you can organize them just how you want them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed during the keynote that there was no screenshots of these widgets on the iPad anywhere but on the left side. Yeah, and every screenshot I saw had all the regular apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that that's necessarily going to change but i guess we'll see yeah i think people will want it and and give feedback and stuff so another big change i think a lot of people really want is picture and picture for video on the iphone this i think is going to be fantastic so if you are watching a video on your phone and then you need to go look at an email or something you can just have like a little tiny picture and picture like you do on the iPad and it works for FaceTime as well. Right now, if you're on a FaceTime call and you go to another app, it is a, a deal where you have to, or the other person I say like pauses the video and they just, you just, they just don't see you until you come back to the app. And this would get around that assumedly. And so you get be FaceTiming somebody, but also doing other stuff on your device. I think that's a huge improvement. Except it still won't work with YouTube. I can, <laughs> guarantee you. <laughs> well you know uh youtube is gonna youtube yeah the um yeah i, I agree it, well, it was funny because i uh, we uh i did a invite out to the field guide customers and we had 100 people in a zoom call watching it together it was really fun but i was remark it was remarkable to me how many people in the call were super excited about picture and picture on phone because i honestly can't remember the last time i watched any video on my phone but uh-huh. I just, that's just for whatever reason, that's not a habit I'm in. Uh, maybe because I have two iPads. I don't know. But the, um, but that's cool that it's there. But I, I really, it wasn't something I was missing, but I'm glad it's there. I think I'm kind of an outlier in that. And uh, next after that, they talked about Siri. And that was something where I sat on the edge of my chair because I am really into Siri. And, uh, couple things i observed number one they've got kind of a new siri graphic while you're speaking and they've made it less intrusive now when you activate siri it doesn't necessarily take over your entire screen those are all good things um and they spent a lot of time talking about how much smarter it is and how much better it is at obscure questions but you know the whole time i was like banging my head against my mac saying i don't care i mean what's the last time siri didn't answer an obscure question i asked it i i can't remember because i that's not how I use Siri. I just wanted to get my wife's name right when I dictate it. That's mm-hmm. that's the the bar for me right now. And I never really felt like they said, I mean, they talked about how it's more 
privacy improvements, but they never talked about if it's faster. Uh, they did say it's on device, which gives me some hope. Because if you remove the cloud connection, I would imagine that it would render faster. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Uh, I think we'll have to see how that how that goes. But I think that's one reason it's faster on some of the Android phones. And if Apple has shoved all that machine learning onto the device itself, it could be great. It means you could do it offline, maybe even. So uh, I know I know I thought of you when they said that, and uh, I look forward to you <laughs> te- checking it out and telling us all about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to, um, I just, I just realized I've got it installed on my iPad. Yeah. So if I can get the Siri button to show up, let me open drafts. Some live testing. Yeah. That everybody loves that. Right. And because drafts doesn't have the keyboard showing up, welcome to beta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe uh Apple notes. I bet it works. There we go. So I've been using the um, the pencil, the handwrite. I'll talk about that in a minute too. Okay, here I go. Now I'm testing Siri with the new iPad operating system, and it is actually rendering faster than it has ever done so before. Period. I'm not kidding. Period. Exclamation point. Yeah, it's better. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's better. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it how it compares to Android. I guess Android's been running circles around it, but. No, this is already, I can immediately tell it's better. So that's good. Oh, one thing that was sort of glossed over in the keynote, but I want to talk about before we move on to the iPad itself, is iOS 14 will let users pick a a new default browser or an email application. Yeah. So we spoke about email like the last two weeks. If you're using a third-party email client on your phone or iPad, you can set that to be the default. If you use chrome or brave or another browser on your device you can set that as the default it's not fully taking over spotify can't be the basic music player you can't have overcast replace apple podcast but honestly i think browser and email clients are the two that people are the most interested in so i'm glad to see this finally after so long make it to ios yeah, is this because of the European regulators? <laughs> or has this Maybe. been on the map? I don't know. But the um that's great. And you know, make your operating system easier for people. If they want a different mail app, why don't they? And yep. the uh the initial tests on the mail app is nothing looks a whole lot different. There's no share button. No, come on. <laughs> I was really hoping. <laughs> I I I mean I don't know. I get, I'm going to have to look at the user interface more, but there's there's definitely no share button. Okay. They still have that one reply button that has everything buried underneath it. Yeah. So uh, there we go. And like and we talked on this show, okay, just a small rant, okay? So we talked on the show. I've been managing my email largely on Mac, and I when I'm on the iPad, I've got a an intricate flagging system. Like gray flags are customer support, and red flags are legal. And so this morning I was out in the backyard with the dog and I was just flagging stuff on my phone. So when I got back to the Mac, I could work through those. And of course, even though I carefully flagged them with the right colors on the phone, I got to the Mac, they were all red. No idea why. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, sorry, rant. Uh, in addition to Siri looking like it's faster now, they also introduced a new translation application, which will be great. Yeah, it looks really awesome where you can speak to the phone and someone else can hear a different language come out the other end. Google has tried this before. I don't know. I don't know how good any of these are. I don't have a big use case for this, but 
Uh, I'm excited about it, and it offers quite a few languages. So I don't I don't think it's as many as what Google has, but it's a really good start. And honestly, I was surprised and I, and kind of glad to see this as a as a standalone application. I could see Apple leaving it in the Siri interface, and maybe that'd be more confusing. But I like that it's just a standalone app. If you need it, you can go into it and translate, and it's not kind of lumped in with a bunch of other stuff. I think that means people may be more likely to try it. Agreed. And, uh, you know, this is something that the platform developer needs to make. I know that there's third-party apps that do this, but I can't help but think that Apple's going to have more access to the processing and um, and system resources than an independent developer, and this needs to be so real-time. But, yeah, you know, it, the Universal Translator just kind of snuck up on us. Yeah, it did. I think that was pretty much out of uh, out of left field. All right. Uh, you want to keep going? Yeah, let's let's talk about messages. I'm really excited about this. Uh, they opened okay. this by... Tell s- me. Can, can I just say, I have a preface here. Sure. I feel like we got some fancy features, but we didn't get a lot of features on messages. I expected more. Yeah, but I think what we got is like all the low-hanging fruit I had in my mind. So yeah, uh, Apple started by saying how busy messages is. It's like a 40% increase year over year. Of course, people are at home. I could see that. Uh, so really three big features. One is the ability to pin conversations at the top of your messages list. You know, yeah. everyone's message list is miles long. Like you could scroll that thing forever and now you can pin things. So you could pin the one with your spouse or your kids or a group thread up at the top. And if you get an unread on an unread message, there'll be a little badge up there at the top. I think it looks really nice. Agreed. Also have group uh, a lot of group features which i'm really excited about i'm on several rather talkative group iMessage threads and i have them all muted and now if someone mentions me like in slack or on twitter or discord or something i can set it up where i just get notifications if i'm mentioned so if federico and mike are just talking and they don't need me you know they talk you know hours before i wake up but then if they mention me, I'll get a notification. I can go in and see what's going on. I think that's going to be fantastic. We all have those really talkative family iMessage threads that we have all muted. Uh, another big thing is inline replies. So if you're familiar with Slack, the idea that you can reply, they're called them threads in Slack, where you can reply underneath the message and it sort of acts as a way to organize a conversation. Or if you want to go back in time, you could answer something further up. Really, really excited to see that, especially in these groups. And you can do a lot of customization with the group image and group name and stuff. Some of that was there before. Some of it is new. Uh, I think they're really responding the way people are using iMessage now. Um, And then lastly, this is not a huge feature set for me. I'm not a Memoji user, but uh, many more options now, uh, more ages, uh, head coverings, different hairstyles. And to speak to our current moment, face masks. So uh, I think that's all fantastic. I know emoji are popular. They're just not for me. I think people who use them will always want more customization. When's the last time you used a Memoji? It's been a long time. Months, easily, if not longer. Yeah. This morning for me. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm <laughs> on the other end of that sometimes. <laughs> I even um, did a cool thing where I, I like took a screenshot of my thumbs up memoji mm-hmm. memoji memoji i don't know sounds like a drink uh took a screenshot of it saved it at, to the keyboard maestro clipboard 
So now when I respond to people on my Mac, I can just hit uh, option R and it just drops in the image of me thumbs up and sends the message. Doesn't even give me a chance to decide whether I actually want to send it or not. Yeah. Oh boy. I'll send you one. I'll no, send you no, 10. No. <laughs> uh, real just quickly, like uh, kind of rounding out the iOS stuff, uh, some new stuff in maps, including cycling directions. If you're in a handful of big cities, so like it's not here yet, but thought about you. Yeah. yeah. It'd be great uh, because they're using bike lane information and Memphis has a lot of bike lanes. I kind of know where they all are, where I ride, but it'd be really cool to have that. And some uh, EV features so it can show charging stations. They're partnering with Ford and BMW, uh, one particular electric car vehicle brand, suspiciously absent from that slide. But, you know, maybe Tesla will get on board later. Yeah, probably not. Maybe. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, and then CarPlay, which I'm I'm really interested in. I've got a third-party CarPlay unit in my truck. It is available on 97% of the new cars sold in the U.S., 80% around the world. This CarPlay is only a few years old, really. They've really had good success with it. You can set some wallpaper options now, which I just leave mine in the dark mode. But yeah. Yeah, I don't want wallpapers on there. Um, a couple of new app categories for like parking, food ordering, EV charging. And there's a new digital key system that uses your phone to unlock your car in iOS 13. That's coming back to iOS 13. So far, there's exactly one car model that supports it, the new BMW 5 Series, which is a very expensive high-end sports sedan. But this will roll out to more cars over time. So in four or five years, you know, you go buy a new Civic, maybe it'll have the cool digital car key stuff. An interesting question for me on that was they explain that you don't even need to take your phone out of your pocket. But if that's the case and someone has your phone, can they just open your car and drive it away? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess that's how it would work with the proximity keys now and fancier cars. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we got to the app store. Yeah. Yeah, the App Store got, I think, more than I thought it would get. You know, most of the time, the App Store either gets big changes or nothing. That's kind of in between this year with something called App Clips. So I like the example. They showed an example of like one of those rental bird scooters we've all used. And you have yeah. to like download the app and sign into it. It's a pain in the butt when you're standing on the sidewalk. And now you can just put your phone near it, scan a QR code, and it installs part of the app on your phone just the part you need to sign in you can use apple pay and sign in with apple you don't need the whole app you can download the whole app later if you want it but it's about making really quick custom like custom parts of your app for certain solutions which i think is going to be pretty cool i don't know how widely adopted it'll be but i think for things like scooter rentals or ordering at a restaurant or something where you don't want to download the whole app, I think this could really be pretty handy. No, I think this is this is an Apple at their best. You know, there's all these pieces they've been putting into place quietly over years. I mean, we had Apple Pay, then we have Sign In with Apple. And now that they've got all those pieces on the board, they come out with this feature. And the problem it's solving is, let, let's say the scooter rental. We used to do that in San Jose back back in the old days when we went there, right? And you'd see the scooter and you'd be like, oh, that looks like fun. But then I got to download the app. I got to set up my payment. I got to create an account. And, you know, this is just going to be more trouble. I'll just walk. Mm -hmm. uh, what the idea of this is you just point your phone at, like you said, a QR code. 
it pulls in basically the payment component and it uses the sign in with Apple and it uses the Apple pay. So you're not creating a brand new account and you're not like setting up a new pay account with somebody and you're on the scooter much faster. So for the consumer, you're getting what you want faster for the people with the scooters. You're getting more customers. I, I just feel like if done right, this could be a big deal. And, um, like Yelp, they said at the end, Yelp is making app clips for a lot of their partners. So think of everybody on Yelp. That could be something impressive. So yeah, I uh, I I think this one might be the sleeping giant. I mean, I think this could be a big deal in a year. Could be. I think a lot of those apps that you just download when you're on vacation or something, maybe we can get around all that in the future. Yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Miro. Miro is the online whiteboard that brings teams together. Their infinite canvas is perfect for things like brainstorming and making mock-ups, organizing files, and managing complex projects. They even have templates to help you get started really easily. And you can actually host meetings in the same frame as your collaborative whiteboard, which is super handy because it means you can discuss items as you go. Uh, My last job, before Relay FM, I was at this uh, digital like branding agency, and we would take a lot of meetings and you know write all over the whiteboard. Very often, like I take a picture with my phone and stick it in the project management software. Sometimes I'd forget, and someone would come and erase it. It was terrible. Man, Miro would have saved me so much hassle. They have over five million users, and eighty percent of the Fortune 100 companies use Miro. That is super impressive to me. Miro can integrate with the programs you're already using in your business like Google Drive, Dropbox, Slack, and more. Start collaborating for free when you sign up for an account at Miro.com slash MPU. That's M-I-R-O dot com slash MPU. So go sign up for a free account. Check it out with unlimited team members. Miro.com slash MPU. Our thanks to Miro for their support of Mac Power Users and all of RelayFM. All right, iOS we talked about, but we didn't talk about iPad OS because iPad OS now gets its own category. Yay! Yeah, so it inherits almost everything from the iPhone, except the like we said, the ability to put widgets exactly where you want them. Uh, But it gets sort of the other stuff, the App Store stuff, Siri changes. Um, I think the biggest thing here is the addition of sidebars in a lot of apps, including, I'm sorry to say for you photos. Yeah, I know. I know. So photos will be getting a free update. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to re-record everything I did on the iPad because that was like a lot of video, but there will definitely Mm -hmm. be some new videos updating the new interface. Uh, Shortcuts will also be getting an update that will be free if you're, if you care about that stuff. But the, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, they, they kind of change the overall look. In fact, kind of a big point, maybe we should save this for the end, is that there seems to be a gravity pulling all of the Mac, the iPad, and even the phone to a degree towards a similar design language um, while trying to keep the devices as separate hardware, if that makes sense. And they, they talked about this quite a bit in the, in the uh, state of the union for platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely an, an an intentional move here to make 
apps on the iPad look kind of like apps on the Mac. They're a lot closer than I thought they would be. And we'll get to Mac OS Big Sur, which has a huge UI change. Yeah. But honestly, I think if you had like photos for the Mac and photos for iPad side by side, they're going to look really similar. Yes. What's cool about this, now I don't know about the iPad mini because they were sort of vague in the way they said it, but this new three column layout. So like in photos, you have the sidebar, then your content or in mail, your mailboxes, the current list of messages, and then your messages that'll be available on smaller iPads and not just the big 13 inch iPad pro. So as an 11 inch user, I'm excited to see that because I think that view is really useful. It is more desktop like, but you're right. It is funny how much of iPad OS kind of looks like the Mac, including the new search. It looks just like spotlight on the Mac. Yeah. And I don't think that was a mistake. Mm -mm. One of the things they addressed in the state of the union was that new sidebar is something that I think is just kind of a company wide push. And all of a sudden, it doesn't have to be gray. You know, um, they've added color to it. In fact, I think, what did she say here? Hold on a second, I had a note. I wrote down a quote from the State of the Union about this sidebar because it was just crazy how she's, we are embracing color in this release. Yeah. <laughs> and you can even uh, color individual objects. And I'm looking at it right now, like the VIPs is yellow in Apple mail on the new uh, iPad version, whereas the, the overwhelming color is blue. So they're clearly able to address specific lines. And I'm curious to see what other developers do with this. I'm excited about the color coming back. You know, the stuff, especially on the Mac has been really kind of flat and boring for a while. And there's, there's depth and color to this. It's hard to see it going from like iOS 11, 12 to 13 to now this, but if you look at iOS 7 or 8 compared to this, they've really made a lot of progress on this UI, making it more friendly and making it more approachable. Well, I think iOS 7 was maybe too sterile and too flat. I, I really like where this is going. Yeah. I'll tell you one of my uh, favorite things that was announced all day, and we had heard rumors of this, but I didn't really know what to make of it until I saw it today, was this new Apple Pencil and Scribble support. Yeah, walk me through this. You're you're a much bigger Apple Pencil user than I am. Yeah. Uh, so the way it works is they basically added handwriting recognition to the entire operating system. And for years now, I've written a lot of articles. I even did a couple of videos comparing these third-party apps that would replace the keyboard with like a a line that you would write text on. And there was there was always problems and compromises. They never really worked that well. And with this new version that Apple has. You just handwrite on the screen anywhere that you put text in. Like you got a text box, you write in it, and it writes the text for you. And it really works. I mean, I was just um, playing with the shortcuts, the new version of shortcuts, and you can create folders now. And I had to name the folders. I'm like, okay, I'll just handwrite the name in, and it worked fine. And my handwriting isn't great. I print as opposed to handwrite, but it got everything right. When I used block uh, capitals, it had a little trouble figuring out capitalization because I made everything capitalized. But when I re- kind of returned to proper capitalization, it got 100% accuracy on six folders. And it feels really good writing on an iPad and having it convert to text. Uh, one of my you know, goals for the iPad is to be able to sit on a couch and between Siri dictation and an Apple pencil, get a bunch of my work done. And this really fixes a bunch of problems I had before. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I think 
it's been wanted by a lot of people for a long time. And I'm encouraged to hear that it seems to be uh, working well for you at this point. Yeah. And it's more than just a right here and we will convert your scribbled text. It's it's a whole system. Like if you scratch back and forth on a word, it'll scratch the word out. If you hold the pencil between two words, it will create space to write additional words. If you draw a line between them, it'll pull them together or push them apart. So they've kind of thought through most of the stuff you'd want to do with a pencil and it's built into the system already. The first time you run it, they walk you through a tutorial. And um, this was well thought out. I, I feel like this must have been worked on for a long time. I wonder if they went back and looked at any of the old Newton code. <laughs> there are parts of it that do feel Newtony, but I would imagine this is a way better than whatever whatever yeah. shipped on the Newton. Yeah, but it, it works. And uh, I've tried it in Apple Notes and I've tried it in Shortcuts. I have not tried it in third-party applications, but I'm assuming it will just work. Um I, I like the idea of being working in OmniFocus and being able to add a new task just with my pencil. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, I think a lot of people, I mean, this is going to mean nothing to a lot of people and it's going to mean everything to other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm glad that it's there for people, but it's not for, uh, not for me necessarily. You're not going to go dust off your Apple pencil. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, that, that was a nice update. I mean, between the Apple pencil and the mouse and trackpad support they added just a few months ago, they have drastically altered the input efficiency on the iPad. And it's kind of a, a little bit of a quiet revolution. I think everybody would be going nuts if they did all of this at one event. Maybe that's why they released that key, uh, that trackpad support earlier. But the, um, I mean, the iPad is kind of the master of all input mechanisms at this point. Mm-hmm. As long as you're willing to buy a $300 keyboard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, whatever the pencil costs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you're right. I mean, you can really change the ipad into what you want it to be and it's always been the strength of the ipad and software right they even mentioned it right it's this piece of glass that becomes whatever app you're using but you can also change its like its whole interface with you depending on what you want to do too you can leave that keyboard behind take the pencil with you or leave it all behind use it as a tablet or use it as a laptop replacement you can hook it up to an external display it's so flexible that's really something that nothing else in apple's portfolio has no, I, I love it. I love the idea of switching between mechanisms. I can absolutely see myself using the, the, you know, the keyboard and then pulling out with the pencil and starting handwriting in things. Like I was talking about earlier, like task management, omnifocus entries, you know, small bits of text. I can do those with a pencil just as fast as I can with the keyboard or, or fast enough that it, the difference wouldn't matter to me. Well, it, it's cool. I played with it already. And I'm just telling you, even in beta one, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, a couple other Apple Pencil tricks. You It can turn rough drawings into drawings of straight lines, which is pretty cool. A bunch of apps have been doing that, yeah. Yeah, we've seen that third-party apps, and now it seems to be baked into Pencil Kit. And if you have handwriting in an Apple Note, you can select it like text, where you can you know draw over it and it gets highlighted. You can move it around. Uh, so they're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to make that handwriting stuff way more powerful. Yeah, but that's that is a problem that Apple needed to solve. I mean, I don't think we were ever going to get a third-party app that could solve that problem because it really needs to be baked in. Mm-hmm. And now that it is, we get it for free theoretically in any app that you can enter text in. Yep, that's fantastic. Uh, one thing that got mentioned sort of in this section of the keynote, kind of as its kind of own little thing, was AirPods. 
which I thought was really cool because I, I like to see that Apple views AirPods as their own thing and not just a accessory, like a cable or something, right? They, they view it yeah. as its own platform. So a couple of things here. One is automatic switching between devices. So if you're listening on your phone and you pick up your iPad to watch something, they'll move automatically. And right now you have to do that dance through Control Center, which works okay, but you got to deal with it. And this promises to work much better. Yeah, I just, I just feel like the AirPods team is like doing a great job. They're killing it. And the AirPods Pro can now mimic uh surround sound experiences 5.1 7.1 and dolby atmos this is just the airpods pro so my regular airpods won't do this and they're doing a lot of tracking with your head and device to kind of figure out where the sound should be and you know the sound should be stationary when you turn your head and all that sort of stuff yeah that was again as a presenter nerd that was an area where apple did such a great job you know the problem would be if you had spatial audio on your tv and you're looking forward at the TV, but then you turn your head to the right to answer a question or, you know, I don't know, yell at the dock, whatever. And the uh, so you don't want the, the forward-facing channel to follow your head tilt. You want it to stay. Then it would be on your left side if you turn your head to the right. Yeah. They figured out how to do that. And uh, it was really cool the way they demonstrated it. I think so, too. I mean, showing something that's just audio is hard, especially when you're streaming to a bunch of people who don't have surround sound set up. So the visualization, I think, really helped, including me, and like I'm an audio guy, uh, really understand what they're trying to achieve. And it seems technically very impressive. Question. When's the last time you paired your AirPods to an Apple TV? I've never done it. I do that all the time because I get up really early and a lot of my family doesn't. So I don't like to play the TV in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy. Well, it's not that easy, actually. But you go into the settings and you say stick it out to my AirPods and that's really nice. But um, in fact, they didn't mention that, that, you know, you talked earlier about how they talked about the AirPods should be able to pair between devices easier. I wonder if the Apple TV is in that mix as well, but either way, if you've got a pair of AirPods and you watch TV like at night and your spouse is in bed next to you, just, just point the audio at your AirPods. <laughs> that's cool. It's really cool. Watch OS. Same thing. We went over to the Apple health center Saw our friend, was it Kevin? I forget his yeah, name. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Lynch. Yeah, Kevin Lynch. Um, and we got several improvements, a lot of them consumer facing. Nothing, you know, earth shattering. No, I don't I don't think so. There's a, a couple of more workout types, including uh dance and core training and functional strength training. So things that you could kind of fake on the workouts version before this. But now they're dedicated things. Um, I had a I had a link. I'll find it and put it in the show notes where I took screenshots of all of the workout types on WatchOS six, and there are a ton of them, and it's some of the most amazing artwork you've ever seen. Uh, so yeah. I'll, I'll have that in the show notes. You can go through and look at all those. I guess I'll have to update that in the future. But it is um, it's cool that they continue to add to this. Uh, over, over time complications so you can now run multiple complications from the same app on the same face and the the case they made for this was a really good one they're like what if you have if you're a surfer and there's a surf app that has you know four different types of surf data it can give you why not put that all on one watch face and that makes complete sense 
I'm sure underscore was very happy. Um, so if you have, like, or maybe people who like carrot weather, but they want to get, you know, air quality plus, you know, chance of rain, mm-hmm. they can, they can do that now. Yeah, that's, that's a really nice change. Some developers, you mentioned carrot weather, they do this where like you can download another one of their apps and they sort of bridge the complications and it's, uh, you know, a little, a little hacky. So I'm glad to see this coming. Anything they can do to make the watch faces more customizable, I will always be a fan of because I still think they're too limited this far into yes. this thing. Yeah, and on the idea of customizability, the Chronograph watch got an update, which was long overdue. Uh, they And the big face looks better, but it was like not really that much. They didn't explain like if they fixed utility and a bunch of those in you know, the generation one watch faces that seem kind of broken now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, once that beta starts loading, I don't think I'll put the watch beta on mm-hmm. anytime soon, but no. I'm looking forward to getting feedback as to whether they fix those. And honestly, it felt to me like a half step, you know, saying, oh, we can, you can share your watch faces now. So if you get it set just the way you want it, you've got the perfect surface. I can share it with Steven. And what I really want is for developers and or third parties to be able to make their own watch faces. So I don't get stuck with just what Apple thinks works. I think that's still the holy grail for the watch. Yeah. I think it'd be it'd be so welcome. And yeah, some would be bad, but that's why we have a marketplace. That's why we have competition. And the good ones would rise to the top, just like things do in the App Store, right? Not everything in the App Store is good, but there's a bunch of options that consumers can choose from. Yeah, and Apple could even apply their taste filter. That would, I mean, that wouldn't be ideal, but at, at least we'd have more choices. Mm-hmm. Um, the big announcement, though, for the uh, for the watch is sleep tracking, you know, and I feel like this is one of those announcements where Apple makes the announcement, but there's like another half of the story with the new hardware that they're going to announce in September or October, whenever they get around to it, that's going to make a lot more sense of this. But now they have sleep tracking and it seems like it was well thought out. Um, it turns your watch's face off when you set it on. Mm-hmm. So that I would think that helps preserve battery and you don't, it doesn't light up your room at night unless you tap yeah. on it. My my wife sleeps with an Apple watch on and I've had to tell her like, Hey, you need to like put it in theater mode, which does the same thing. Yeah. turns it. Cause like she would roll over and I just get blinded by a, an Apple watch at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but I like that they've moved beyond just what something like sleep plus plus does, which is a great app by a friend of ours, uh, David Smith, where they are in addition to sleep tracking, they're expanding the bedtime stuff. So you can have something called yeah. wind down that kind of gets you to bed. You can set things like uh, you can set custom shortcuts on the shortcuts app to show up and wind down. So if you always want to turn off all the lights at bedtime or you want to open you know, a white noise app or something like that, you can customize what the watch shows you. And uh, this is on the iPhone as well. What it shows you as you go to sleep and the same thing when you wake up. So if you want to wake up and you always want to see the weather and open your blinds via home kit they're surfacing more of that at those specific times, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Agreed. And we talked about this on focus, but the big deal with sleep is not necessarily tracking or giving you the perfect alarm clock, but just making sure you get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. And the more science gets behind this, it seems like the more obvious it is. None of us are getting enough sleep. So seriously, anything you can do to help with that. Uh, The funniest one I thought uh, was at the very end of this, they dropped in a thing given the, the times we live in, it will now monitor when you're washing your hands and run a timer for how long you spend washing your times. 
And the, the quote of the whole presentation was, it will give you a polite note to keep washing if you stop early. Mm-hmm. And the timer <laughs> is adorable. It's like soap bubbles. Yes. It's, yes. You, you got to go to the watchOS preview. We have all this stuff in the show notes. It is really awesome looking. It even has the little bloop sound yeah, effect. That's so great. <laughs> and I, this is great. I mean, Apple should be really good at doing things on the watch. I mean, I wish this was coming to iOS 13 because, or excuse me, to watch OS 6 because watch OS 7 won't be out for months. Like this is something the world needs now. I wish Apple could be more agile with that, but looks like we have to wait to the fall. Yep. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm not installing a watch beta. <laughs> no way. Well, I mean, historically, you had to go to the Apple store to get it fixed if a watch beta yeah. broke. I, I'm assuming that's probably still true. Maybe, except there are a bunch of Apple stores closed, and WatchOS 7 is yes. a public beta. First time we've had a yeah. public beta on the watch. Like, Who knows what that looks like? I guess we'll all find out together. Well, it could go really well, or it could not. Yep. And <laughs> I just don't want to be the one to find out. Yeah. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and use offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace lets you easily design a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. And maybe you want to create something online like an online store, portfolio, or blog. All of that is possible with Squarespace. I make both MacSparky.com and my legal website with Squarespace, and it's great. Uh, Squarespace gets you started. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. That's the reason I got in the door with Squarespace is I got uh, someone hacked one of my plugins. I'm like, I am not dealing with this anymore. I'm going to let someone deal with it for me. And that is Squarespace. And it's years ago, and I've never had a problem since. You don't have to worry about that stuff because Squarespace covers it for you. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you need any help, they're there for you. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. You can buy that as part of your account, and it's just attached to your website, so you don't have to goof off with trying to make that work. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I get uh, the law website in particular. I hear from other lawyers who always, you know, whenever you have opposing counsel, you're working with something, the guy looks you up, and then he always calls me and says, hey, who did your website? I really like the way it looks and I don't have the heart to tell them I pay like, I think it's like $10 a month with Squarespace. Mm-hmm. I have the, the most basic plan for that website because it doesn't get a huge amount of traffic. So, you know, I, I, I don't really tell them, <laughs> uh, but either way, uh, Squarespace sets it up for you. Uh, they have plans that start at $12 a month. So that's what I'm paying. Uh, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU for Mac power users. Yes the old MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get that 10% off your purchase of a website and domain and show your support for the Mac power users, which makes both me and Steven very happy. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Uh, so next, let's turn our attention to macOS Big Sur. Didn't have that name on my list, but no, here it is. No, makes sense, though. Makes sense. Though. I've been there. It's pretty. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about Big Sur itself, and then, then I think we can talk about the ARM transition as a separate separate thing. Yeah. Uh, but this is a, a radically redesigned version 
of Mac OS. So we had sort of the first look and feel of Mac OS. It changed a little bit in like Lion and Mountain Lion. It changed big time in Mavericks. And now it's changing again. Uh, but this is not version 10.16, like I almost said. This is version officially Mac OS version 11. Who knows if next year will be 11.1 or version 12. I kind of wish they would just sync up the numbers and just be like, this is Mac OS 14. Pay no attention to what happened to 11, 12, and 13. But um, Mac OS 11, it's here. Yeah, that's that's great. And um, this is the part of the presentation that caught me most off guard. The redesign? Yeah. I mean, did you have any idea this was coming? No, I didn't. I had... I mean, I've thought before, I think I think we've talked about it before of, yeah, it's going to be kind of weird, like a bunch of ios apps show up, but Catalyst does a, a decent job if developers spend time with it and making apps look like sort of modern Mac apps, but they've really gone all in and definitely going to encourage you to look at the screenshots, look at the product pages on Apple's website. It looks a lot like iOS, but... It is still definitely Mac OS. This is not iOS running. It is still very Mac-like. You still have a dock. You still have floating windows. You still have the menu bar. You still have notification center. You still have Finder. It is Mac OS, but it is, I would say it's been greatly influenced by the current iPad OS design language. Yeah, so they talked about this also in the State of the Union, and they were so explicit. I know they were... They, you know they had meetings saying we don't want everybody thinking we're just turning the Mac into the iPad, uh, because the language they used was a family resemblance while retaining the power of the Mac, and that was a quote. But then they said that again in other words like four times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're really looking at to say if somebody has an iPad and a Mac and they sit down, we want the user interface to look similar on all devices. And the and the phone as well, but I mean the, the iPad and the Mac with the bigger screens in particular, that doesn't mean we don't want them to run Keyboard Maestro, you know, or whatever it is that you do on the Mac. And I feel like um, that's exactly what I wanted. You know, I, I want similarity uh, between the operating systems, but I do not want the Mac to lose what makes it a Mac. Yeah. So let me ask you this because it's coming up in the Discord. Does this look more touch friendly to you than the current version of Mac OS? I thought about that. Yeah, I it, it does because it looks like an iPad, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean like like the other thing they did in the State of the Union is they showed off two apps. That first they showed off the uh, Monument Valley and they're like the mouse clicks are like touches and they were using the mouse to click on it and make the little person run through the uh you know, run through the maze, but it, it really felt odd. And then they did Riedel's Docs app, which is a productivity app. And they were running that on a Mac. I guess I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but either way, you know, the it looks like a touchscreen and they're also bringing touch-friendly apps over eventually, which we'll get to later. So you have to wonder, are they just going to throw a touchscreen in for the hell of it? Mm-hmm. One thing that really jumped out at me is they mentioned it, I think, twice that the vertical padding in menu bar items has been increased. Yes. Like, okay, that's got to be for like a big old fat index finger. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, they, they, I, I, there are signs. There are signs. Th- yes, there are signs pointing to touch. And 
uh, you know, if you're going to do it with the arm transition, which we're going to talk about in a little while, maybe that's the time to do it. But I find this uh, super fascinating that they've done all of this work to to make it, in some cases, like Control Center, basically just bringing the iPad interface over. I don't know. There's a lot of smoke here is, is all I'm saying. Here's some other notes from the State of the Union that I took on the toolbar because they did a specific segment on toolbar. They said, we streamlined it, we made it taller, and we made the controls larger. Mm. And in order to accommodate the larger controls, the search field only expands when in use. All of that is touch-friendly. Mm-hmm. Mm. I kinda, I'm excited by that. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, so, so the redesign, we've said, it's very very iOS-like. Things that used to be gray are now white. Lots of aggressively rounded corners, including the the new, all the new icons. All the built-in apps have, most of them have revised icons. The finder with the round-off corners really uh, looks really weird to me, but I'm sure we'll get used to it. The, the, the dock as well. The dock yeah. has a rounded-off corners on the bottom as well. Yeah, it floats like it does on the iPad or on the iPhone. Which is uh, which is pretty cool. Real quick, um, so what's going to happen when they ship and there are third party apps that don't have a rectangular icon? Uh, so are we just going to have a mix of the rectangular icons and the non rectangular icons? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so for instance, Safari picked up a round rect and something like right now it's circley, but look like Transmit or Day One that uses yeah. uses sort of a custom thing. Uh, yeah, I would imagine that they will be just kind of on their own but maybe there'll be like a some hand holding like hey you should you should adopt this new thing uh, again or another approach no they could out. take is they could literally put a transparent round rectangle and slap your icon on it <laughs> if you don't update it you're burdened with a white background <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that would be sad but i mean the mac is a because you could get away with that on the ipad you could force it through the development process mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of mac apps that are released outside the app store. So I, I'm very curious to see if it's just going to be kind of a ugly mess or if it's going to be something that's really pretty. Yeah. Uh, Apple's using its metal graphics engine, graphics API to drive a lot of the animations. Now Uh, there are still lots of animations in this from what I can tell. Like I said, my version is still downloading and they're, they're making that more power efficient. Of course, with the arm transition that will become even more important. I think, but I think the the story is here that it, it really is Mac OS just sort of with a a pretty heavy new coat of paint. For yeah. for instance, maybe my favorite example of this is Notification Center, which I don't know about you, but I find basically useless on the Mac now. I never go in there. Uh, but to make it more compelling in the new system, they have combined notifications and widgets, and it's the widget style from the iPhone and iPad. So they, they got those rounded corners. They look really nice. And those are just going to kind of be combined on the right-hand side. And if you want to expand it out further, you can. So it's kind of dashboardy in a way, more so than it is now. I'm yeah. hoping that Notification Center becomes more useful because I would like to use it. I just don't find much need for it now. And using the new widgets on the iPad, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice maybe just to have these on the desktop on my Mac? You know, just keep it open. Mm-hmm. They they they're working on this stuff. That did we, I don't know if you mentioned. I didn't hear the translucent menu bar. We're back to that again. Yeah, that was new in Leopard, I think. Yeah, but it fits better now than it did then. Then it was like just kind of out of the blue. Now it's part of a whole redesign. 
Yeah. It is a uh it is a significant design. Like you're loading the beta on your laptop. Mm-hmm. I probably will do the same. We'll talk about it again on the show because this is I mean, this is really soup to nuts changes with the whole operating system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I want to see how it all plays out. Like they spent some time talking about messages and it, it sounds like it's getting feature parity with iOS, but I'm not sure if it is. They didn't really, they didn't, they never said it was like a catalyst app, but it seems like um, a lot of the stuff that it has historically been missing is now showing up on the Mac. Yeah. I mean, they're really bringing it in line with the iPhone and iPad and messages, for example, and maps are now catalyst apps. So they, or literally the iOS versions just tuned up, which yeah. Is, which is great. Yeah, and Catalyst got a significant discussion discussion as well. I I wondered if that was like a one hit wonder last year, that you know Swift UI was the new sexy, and that they just had Catalyst for a little while, and that they were going to quickly move away from it. But it seems like they're they're doubling down on Catalyst as well this year. Yeah. So so my understanding here, so this is maybe even more complicated than it was last year. So on an Intel Mac on Big Sur, Catalyst is the way you can run iOS apps. So something like uh, Dice by PCalc by our friend James. Catalyst app, it will run on Intel Macs because it's a Catalyst app. However, if you are running an, a Mac in the future that is powered by Apple Silicon, not they didn't mention the name ARM anywhere. Yeah, yeah, save that. Those one. Macs can run iPad and iPhone apps unmodified just out of the app store. So my understanding is where Mac Catalyst fits in is in two places. One, so Intel Macs can run iOS apps. But two, running an iPad or iPhone app out of the box is not going to be nearly as good as an app that has been put through the Catalyst process. So Catalyst is going to kind of become stage two in bringing a Mac app uh, bring an uh, iOS app over to the Mac. How well that works for them in the in the future, God only knows. Because I think a lot of developers are just going to be like, yeah, run on the Mac. I don't care. Um, but those who take the time to move through Catalyst will have better apps for it. And so I'm hoping that uh, developers take advantage of that. Yeah. And I, I, there's just going to be crossover between talking about the operating system and the, the Apple Silicon slash mm-hmm. ARM. But why are you going to use Catalyst to make an app if you just heard that your apps are going to run natively in a year on the Mac? Yeah, really only because you want a good version of it. So it's it's going to be a transition, right? And and Big Sur is going to have to manage all of this. Um, Something that is encouraging though is that catalyst is getting a lot of cool things. So just a few that I jotted down was full keyboard control, uh, per pixel control. So you don't just have to deal with auto layout, which is really cool. Date picker. Finally. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Getting rid of that stupid tumbler wheel thing. Yeah. Um, and universal purchase. So this is new right now. So let's take carrot weather for example. It's a paid iOS app. It's a paid Mac app. If the developer wanted to do this, I'm not, I don't know. I haven't spoken to him. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but if he wanted to say you can buy it one place and get it everywhere, he has that ability now, uh, through Mac catalyst in big Sur. So again, there is incentive for developers to move to Mac catalyst and not just be 
satisfied with running on sort of the iOS subsystem within Big Sur on our Mac. So, well, again, we'll see how this goes. Catalyst has been a little slow, but I'm glad Apple's continuing to improve it. And I think as it gets better, maybe that will be enough for people to be lured into using it. A significant change was with Safari. And um, they started saying, well, now let's talk about Safari. And they did the usual thing where they put a, a graph on the board with no point of reference saying that it's twice as fast as Chrome that they, you know, they, every year, I think they use the same graph. Uh, but I thought, well, they do that every year. And then they say how it's better with battery life. And we all know that. Uh, but then they got into the fact that Safari is now adding extensions. Like, and it's had extensions for a while, but it sounds like they're going a step further now with extension support. Yeah. They are adopting a, wider set of technologies for these uh, these extensions i don't know at this point how easy it will be to take an extension from chrome say and port it to safari but before it was basically impossible so i think that'll be better but they're really limiting what these extensions can do users can limit for instance how long an extension can be enabled exactly what data the extension can see and they're going to go through a new section in the Mac App Store. So I think that the extensions API is going to not only be more robust, uh, but also more secure. And but you know, they're they're also still going to have the Apple privacy restrictions. So I doubt you'll if 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 you want the latest and greatest and deepest extensions, you're probably better on Chrome. But mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of new extensions available on Safari that weren't before. We we actually are planning in the future to do a show uh, comparing browsers as things have evolved. So that's not too far away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Safari is definitely making big moves. Um, uh, another thing that I really like in Safari is improved tab management. So if yeah. you have a bunch of tabs open, they'll fall back to the web clip icons. And if you hover over a tab, you can see a preview of the window that it would load so if you have a lot of tabs that are kind of named the same thing you can visually parse what's what i think that's fantastic and that that really is another catch up with chrome but Mm -hmm. because i'm such a fan of the way safari treats my battery over chrome that that's great that now i have that feature yep yeah it's good news this episode of mac power users is brought to you by sanebox Learn more at samebox.com slash MPU and receive a $25 credit on any plan. Samebox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't saving you a whole bunch of time each week. And it works across all email programs and services. So if you're excited about iOS 14 and you're going to make a different mail app your default, Samebox will just follow you wherever you go because it's working in the cloud. This email filtering is fantastic. Sane Later is this special folder where things that aren't that important that end up in your inbox, they end up insane later. And you can just check them out at the end of the day or the end of the week or whenever you get some time. They're not cluttering up precious inbox space. The same black hole is where messages go that you never want to hear from the sender again. So, you know, you get stuck on some newsletter and you don't want to deal with unsubscribing. Just put it in Sane Black Hole and you'll never see it again. It's, it's fantastic. And as a space nerd, I love the name. You also have snoozing and reminders so you can push messages off to a later day. Or if you send somebody something and you need to hear back from them at a certain time, Samebox will remind you. There are various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. 
There's a 14 day free trial. And I bet you during that trial, you're going to fall in love with this because 66% of MPU listeners who have tried end up subscribing. So head on over to sandbox.com slash MPU, receive that $25 credit on any plan and stop drowning in email. That's sandbox.com slash MPU. Okay. We thought this was going to happen. We thought they were going to switch to a new processor for the Mac. We just didn't know it wasn't going to be called the ARM. Yeah, they really didn't mention that name at all. You know, when they switched to Intel, they use the brand name all the time. And this time they're not. They're they're referring to it as Apple Silicon. I'm sure that when these machines ship, and they've said the first one will ship by the end of this year, that it will have some sort of marketing name. It'll be the A14 or the M14 or something. No, they referenced it as the A12Z throughout so, the presentation. Yeah, so that is what's in the 2020 iPad Pros, and that's what's yeah. in the development kit Mac Mini, which we can talk about. Gotcha. So they they do have they are that's why I say they are, they are using a specific marketing name, but they're not referring to them as ARM. They're it's it's in house. We're doing this ourselves, and Apple really pulled out all the stops here and flexing their skills here, talking about how much faster. They've gotten these things over the years, how the power and performance is really balanced, how it's so secure, way more secure than other things. It, they really did, I think, a really good job at selling why they want to do this. Yeah. So if you didn't catch the announcements, Apple is going to start making Macintoshes over the next two years with the first one releasing by the end of the year with Apple Silicon air quotes held up inside them, which is some variant of the Apple Silicon that's been in the iPhones and iPads forever. And we've talked about on the show how iPads are out benchmarking MacBook Pros and all the times that Apple's had to delay release of a Mac because Intel was behind on getting their um, their Silicon done and the battery problems that are caused by Intel Silicon and laptops. So th- there's just a whole bunch of reasons. They didn't really talk trash about Intel. They just talked about how much better this is going to be for them. Yeah. And I think they, I mean, to start kind of with the big picture, I think they did a really good job of making the case. I I do too. And they've got to tread a little lightly, right? They said this is going to be a two year transition and that they still have Intel machines in the pipeline. So like that iMac that we didn't see today, that's been rumored. uh, There's, there's going to be new Intel Macs between now and then. And yeah. they've said that they're going to be supporting Intel Macs for years to come. Look, they put their Mac Pro on sale seven months ago. They can't cut bait on Intel super quickly. So while eventually everything will be ARM, I you know I think this Mac Mini that the development kit is on. You know I think the Mac Mini will probably be one of the first Macs. Uh, and I think the other rumor is that the 13-inch MacBook Pro, maybe the MacBook Air, starting on the lower end of the line and working their way up makes a lot of sense to me. But Two years is a long time, and it's longer than Intel took. But you know, we'll see how fast they actually get it done. But yeah, they don't want to throw Intel under the bus until this is over. And two years does that mean? In two years, you're going to be able to buy a Mac Pro that is Apple Silicon and has competing processing speed to the one you have. I, I think that's what they mean. I think they intend to be fully uh, Apple Silicon. In two years, it doesn't mean because there was one argument or school of thought that, yeah, they're going to put those chips in the low end laptops, but the high end stuff is still going to have Intel chips for yeah, the like, foreseeable future. Yeah, like indefinitely almost. I, I don't think Apple wants to do that. 
it didn't sound like they were saying that today. Mm-hmm. So that that's cool. Um, they there were lots of arguments, like Stephen was saying, being made for it. Number one being performance, and there's two elements to performance here. There is how fast does the chip go, and that how much energy does it, or how much power does it draw, and both of those are super relevant, particularly if you're in a laptop. They put up a chart in State of the Union where they've got like showing the you know the 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 watts per hour, and then they've got the power, and of course the while the laptop while it's using less energy it doesn't have the same compute power, and they believe with this new Apple Silicon, they can really change that where you can have a chip that uses significantly less energy, but is significantly faster. And that for me means that, that the MacBook Air is a prime candidate for this because that's a good machine, but it's a little underpowered. It is. Uh, it, I mean, my wife has one and, you know, the kids have been using it for Zoom and everything else. And every time I walk by it, when the kids are doing something, the fan is just going full blast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, that could change. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited about the hardware of this. Um, I'm not bummed that I spent a bunch of money on the Mac Pro because it's going to be a really good machine for a long time. And by the time Apple phases Intel support out of the Mac OS line, maybe that'll be time for me to move on or I hold on to it for a few years afterwards. We'll see how that goes. But today, you know, I'm not I'm not stressed about that. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about you, Stephen. I'll be fine. Um, yeah, but just the, <laughs> some of the additional arguments they made in making their case between the keynote and the State of the Union was um, iOS privacy security. We get all that for free now. You know, there's tons of secure enclave and stuff that they've d- engineered over the years to encrypt data and just make it a much safer environment that now you get for free on the Mac. Um, metal graphics, which is, they talked about that off and on throughout the day, but um, all those cool new WYSI features we see in the Mac operating system are because, you know, it's being done on Intel chips, but it's going to render much easier on ARM chips with metal graphics. And then the other thing they talked about was the neural engine, you know, the artificial intelligence stuff that they built into the iPhone. Now we can get that on the Mac. So that's all advantages for this. But again, the fear is always, does that mean we're just making a fancy iPad and slapping a, a Mac logo on it? And mm. Uh, another time I heard them say at one point today, Max will stay Max. I think there's a group of people at Apple that are just as dedicated to keeping Max Max as we are. I think so too. They wouldn't be doing all of this if they thought it was going away. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they really talked about in depth in the keynote, I'm glad they did because people worry about this is what does this transition look like for regular users? You know, you're out there, you got a MacBook Pro or an iMac. What does this look like when you buy uh, a Mac with a Apple-designed chip in it? And there's a couple of technologies here at work, and I, I want to walk through them. So uh, the first is that Apple's apps, including Logic and Final Cut Pro, are already native. This beats what Apple did in the Intel days where the Pro apps lagged behind. So yeah. if you just kind of live mostly in the Apple app ecosystem like a lot of us do, it's going to be fine on day one. And I'm psyched that the <laughs> that the uh, pro apps are there as well. As someone who uses both Logic and Final Cut Pro on a regular basis. Well, you know what brought me relief was that they showed a working version of Microsoft Word. Because the last, when we had the Intel transition, I remember for like three years, Microsoft Word was like, it was like computing on a Tandy like computer. Yeah, the, through, with through Rosetta. Word. 
Yeah, it, it would like you would type a letter and there was a noticeable lag mm-hmm. between the time. You, in fact, I think if you go back to when we first started recording Mac Power Users, we were still dealing with that. And it took Microsoft years to catch up. Yeah. But uh, it seems like they're on the ball now. And I also think Apple has been on the ball about this transition. Obviously, this is not something that they just decided to do last month. They Ooh. put a lot of effort into it. And uh, it seems like a lot of the, like we saw, so we saw Microsoft, we saw Apple, and we also saw Adobe apps all running already um, in native Apple Silicon mode. Doesn't mean they're going to be there on day one, but it seems like they're going to be pretty close to day one. I think so too. Um, And this comes down to the tooling. So if a developer has an app, they can recompile it to run on an ARM Mac. Most development work is happening at levels where this should be relatively easy. There'll, there'll be some fine tuning, but you don't have to rewrite your app and developers will be able to offer a, a universal app. They're calling it universal two because universal, I guess one was during the, the Intel transition, but a universal app means that one app bundle can run natively on an Intel Mac and an arm Mac. So let's take, a panic, uh, the makers of transmit, you know, they're solid Mac OS developers and they, I would imagine would have a universal binary. So I could install it natively on my Intel Mac pro and my arm MacBook air, for instance. So that's going to really let developers be native on both uh, having multiple versions of the app. Uh, but then there is Rosetta too. And you alluded to this a second ago, running power PC version of Microsoft office on an Intel Mac. It, it was, really painfully slow at times. They promise that this is faster than that was, which I would imagine. So 15 year old Intel chips versus current and future Apple chips is really probably very little uh, ways that the Apple ones would, would not be faster. And this will allow apps that have not been recompiled for arm just to run when you open them on the Mac. And they're doing some really cool stuff with this. When you install an application, if it is not native for ARM, it will do the Rosetta stuff to, to run it at install. So it doesn't have to do as much on-the-fly transcoding. It will save that on the disk and be able to launch it and run it much quickly from a cold start. Now, I don't think they did that with Rosetta 1. They did Am not. I correct? Uh, yeah. Rosetta 1 was real-time translation like it is now, but it was like embedded in the in the app's runtime itself. So it was, there was a lot of overhead and it was still fast. It was still uh, fast enough, I should say, but it still worked, but this should be as fast or faster as what Apple's promising. So if you buy an ARM Mac on day one, your apps should, for the vast majority of them should just run due to the combination of these technologies. The only caveat i can see right now is that if you run an intel mac that requires a kernel extension that is going to have to be updated to work on arm now apple's already said kernel extensions are deprecated they're deprecated in catalina they're going to be going away in the future so if you run something that requires a kernel extension now they're gonna have to fix that they're gonna have to update that for arm mac os big sur but that's very few apps. And for consumers, it's probably no apps, honestly. So yeah. I think this, as far as the, the transition for consumers or just end users, honestly, I think there's, it's going to be mostly upside on day one. Your Mac's going to run faster and cooler. You're probably having incredible battery life 
and the apps you're already using are going to be there. Yeah, and I think like 2x battery life. It, it really depends on how Apple decides to, you know, balance weight versus battery life, but mm-hmm. they're going to have uh, the ability to both make it lighter and longer lasting. Yep. Uh, there is uh, something else we need to talk about in here, and that's virtualization. So right now you can install Parallels or Fusion or run Windows. I've got a Windows 10 virtual machine on my laptop I use. Apple has promised virtualization on ARM, but the only thing they've shown or talked about is Linux and a technology called Docker, which we don't really have time to get into today. Yeah, They did not show Windows. Now, I, I can't. I do too many shows. I don't know where I talked about it, but windows for arm is not really a product. You can't go out and buy it. It's a OEM partnership thing. So at this point, there is no arm version of windows for people to virtualize or or to run. So maybe windows virtualization is coming once Microsoft gets its act together. But as for now, all they've shown is Linux stuff, which is important for developers but for those people who need to run Windows on their Mac, at this point, it seems like that door is closing. Uh, Boot Camp is definitely gone, but maybe virtualization will come back at some point. But for now, if you run a MacBook Pro at work and you have a Windows virtual machine you run every day, I wouldn't run out and buy an ARM Mac on day one until this question is settled for good. Uh, honestly, I would do the exact opposite. If you need Windows on your Mac to get your work done, I would be looking right now at buying one of the last Intel Macs yeah. out the door yeah. and get get a nice beefy one, get the best processor you can get, get the enough storage and plan on using it for five years. Because mm-hmm. I don't even if they get virtualization down, I've seen Windows virtualization on non Intel machines and it ain't pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I just I just don't know that it's going to happen at all. And you know, maybe Apple will surprise us all. But I I feel like if you want to run Windows Get yourself a good Intel machine. And if your Intel machine is getting creaky right now, you should move your upgrade cycle up because as soon as it's all ARM, you're going to regret it. Yeah, I think that's right. And th- we may have more information as this unfolds throughout the fall, right? Microsoft may have some announcement at some point, but here the day of the keynote, that's all Apple has talked about is Linux distributions. So if that's what you need, that's that's fantastic. But if it's not what you need, you need to do some do some digging. There are also options out there. We have never talked about on the show, but there are um, like you can get a virtual Windows machine off a server that just runs through your your browser in essence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like there's other options too, I guess. I, I tried one once. A friend of mine, um, I don't play many games. A friend of mine was saying, you got to try this game. And so we set it up as a virtual machine just to see how it would work. And it, it really wasn't that bad for a video game. So I, I think, you know, if you're doing more productivity fair, you'd probably be just fine with one of those too, but then that's a subscription or, or more expense. But uh, I think the short version of all this and my takeaway is that Apple, I went into this today thinking that windows virtualization is probably going to be dead. And I didn't hear anything today that convinced me otherwise. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's all, that's all pretty good news. I, honestly, I think that Apple is going to handle this transition just as well as they have in the past. Apple this is really interesting to me. Apple referenced that, oh, we've done this before, right? We did yeah. this. They went all the way back to 68K to PowerPC and Craig's remarks talked about the switch to Intel, switch from OS 9 to OS 10. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Apple's the best big tech company when it comes to transitions. I wasn't worried about this. I'm not worried about it now. 
honestly, I'm really excited for when the first RMAC is out. You better believe I'm going to try to get one in here and, and spend time with it because I really think it's going to be something cool. Oh, and by the way, it runs iPad and iPhone apps. Yep, it does. Un, again, unmodified. So you can just download them from the Mac App Store. But hopefully developers will still use Catalyst to make them more Mac-like. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it may be a thing where unmodified iOS apps are like, yeah, it's there if you need it. But what you really want is a Catalyst version. It may be that that's how the community thinks about it. That I think we just have to wait and see how that goes. Yeah. The and other couple points I wrote down that I thought were interesting. Uh, Apple has made 2 billion chips in the last 10 years. Whoa. So that, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. I knew they made a lot, but 2 billion chips. Well, they, and they don't actually make them. I know they have subcontractors. But, yeah. They're not fabbing them, but they still have a lot of involvement with it. Um, and uh, that we talked a little bit about that Mac mini transition kit, just from a technology standpoint, it's kind of interesting. So they've made this, uh, this Mac mini that developers can apply for. So like, I think if you're someone who's never released an app, you're probably not going to get one. No. In fact, I tried and I don't have oh, a Mac tried. app, so I can't do it. <laughs> you tried. Yes. <laughs> of course you did. I'd love of to get my hands did. on one. Of course you would. I have a lot yes. of questions about this. So this this developer transition kit is 500 bucks. You get a Mac Mini running the iPad Pro processor. It has a 500 gig SSD, 16 gigs of RAM, pretty well-specced Mac, two USB-A ports, two USB-C ports, no Thunderbolt. And there's HDMI for video out. This has been a conversation of what does Thunderbolt look like on arm max and if you think about it they have to have thunderbolt to run the 5k and 6k displays now in the future usb 4 and thunderbolt will be the same thing they're going they're merging the two specs but that's not anytime super soon i'd be shocked if that's ready even next year now a couple of years ago kind of under the radar apple or excuse me, Intel announced that Thunderbolt was going to become a standard and that other chip makers could integrate Thunderbolt into their systems. Now at the time, the only other desktop, like in the desktop world was AMD, right? Well, is AMD going to put Thunderbolt in Ryzen? It's Ryzen chipsets. But looking back and knowing what we know today, I would expect that shipping like real Macs will have Thunderbolt on them. Uh, I think for now to get this thing out the door, it's USB-C. That's good enough for a developer deal. Um, hooking this up to a Pro Display XDR is not going to be possible. So you got to have another another monitor, I guess, which Apple didn't ship today, which made me sad. But, you know, Apple said this is not a product. It's not representative of what a finished product would be like. It's just like the the Intel transition kit, which I wrote about. I'll leave a link in the show notes. This is a, a temporary machine for developers who really need to see how their apps are working on, a, on an ARM processor. But there are a bunch of implications for future hardware that we heard today. There's some other stuff we haven't discussed about. I want to talk about that right after this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Text Expander boosts your business productivity by allowing your team to communicate smarter, faster, and more consistently across all your channels. The app is built with collaboration in mind. You don't have to reinvent common email and message replies every time you need them. 
You just store them in Text Expander instead, and your entire team has access to them. So you can use your snippets anywhere you type, whether it's Slack, Trello, Google Docs, email, web, browsers, any place you frequently type the same things, you can just pull that right out of Text Expander. And Text Expander for Teams makes it easy to manage and share snippets across your entire company. I'm actually a subscriber to Text Expander for Teams. Me and my assistant both have a shared group of snippets. And when I did that thing for the uh, uh, for the the zoom meeting that we had today with a hundred people watching the keynote together, I got like 900 people that wanted to go. So I, I didn't want to just ignore them. So we came up with a goal snippet. We used some automation in there. And then my assistant sent all those out with everything I'd written and the automation from her computer. Uh, and she lives like two hours from me. It's just great. Texas Center for teams solves those kind of problems for you. Text Expander for uh, is available for Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And show listeners get 20% off their first year. To get that, go to textexpander.com slash podcasts and make sure you told them you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcasts. Told them you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Start automating your life today. Text Expander is the easiest way to do that. Thank you, Text Expander. You are the original sponsor of the Mac Power Users, and we'll always appreciate that. And uh, thank you for your continuing support of the Mac Power Users. So, Stephen, you're a guy who spends a lot of time thinking about Apple hardware. I thought, did anything stand out for you today with the announcements about future hardware, other than the fact that they may have a different processor in them? Sure. I mean, we 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 touched on the big one that seems like Big Sur is kind of touch ready, yeah, which is, which is cool. I think that the stuff coming to the iPad, like the three pane stuff and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I think it means that the iPad pro, like I think it, we could see even bigger iPad iPads in the future. There's this weird rumor that the iPad mini is going to get the pro treatment with like l- no bezels and a bigger screen. Yeah, um, that'd be cool. And iPad OS is pretty like, I have an iPad mini and I really like it, but it's pretty cramped. And, and so maybe there's something there, but what I really walk away from this thinking about the hardware is finally for the really for the first time ever, Apple is in full control of what's going into their Macs. They've always yeah. had to deal with other people. And it, yes, they still have vendors for things like antennas and components and SSDs and RAM, but they're not beholden to anyone else's release cycle of their processors. They're not beholden to AMD for graphics anymore because they broke up with NVIDIA years ago. They're not on the hook when Intel has a security issue that requires a firmware update to fix. And that puts Apple in the driver's seat. And I think Apple has totally proven that they are committed to the Mac and doing all of this makes me really excited. So I am just excited to see what the future of Mac hardware looks like does it mean that every year we could get a faster mac mini or a faster imac i don't know i don't know if it's going to radically change the release cycle but it gives them the opportunity to do so and that's something they haven't really had and that is going to be fantastic i think so the control is the big thing for me what does apple really want to do what is what has held them back and what can they really put the foot down on now that they're the only one in control of this stuff yeah, a, a couple things that stand out to me. One is they do control now the power consumption versus pick, you know versus moving bytes 
power measurements, and there's a trade-off between them. They have absolute control over that now. I hope that Apple at least gives us, you know, enough power. <laughs> I hope they don't get so obsessed with making it lighter because you yeah. can make a very light computer with an arm chip in it. Um, I hope they don't go too far on that side of it. You know, we'll find out soon enough. Um, I I was a little curious about how they deal with the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro. Mm -hmm. But today I feel like they're going to come up with chips for it. And I'm not entirely convinced they're still going to be an iMac Pro. It may just be you buy an iMac that has, in essence, Pro specs. Just if you, you know, click enough boxes on the Buy Now page. But either way, it sounds like ARM is heading that way. I'm going to have to really work to stop calling it ARM. I know. Is that, you know, but it is ARM. So I guess maybe I shouldn't even work that hard. Um, I do think that we've got something interesting coming with Apple Watch. The whole thing about sleep tracking and the fact that they really didn't address the battery. I suspect the next Apple Watch is going to have massive improvements to the battery. And, you know, on the iPad and iPhone, I didn't really get any tells out of it, except for the fact that, you know, they've already released an iPad with the LiDAR sensor. I'm sure we're going to get one. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the iPhone and maybe they're going to save all their fancy AR demos for whenever that happens. The rumor mill says we may be getting iPhones later than usual, which would be understandable given the the world right now. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, their timelines are so long. It's hard to tell what this can do to them, but it's not just Apple working at home, right? It's manufacturing slowing down, transport slowing down. So we'll see where that goes. I mean, they said by the end of the year, that's six months from now, maybe they're on track for September or October and they want to build in those extra times or maybe they were hoping to have something today. I mean, who knows, but uh, we will see what that is. And yeah, I mean, just, just overall, even stepping back from the hardware, I'm just excited. This WBDC while totally weird. And honestly, like I was pretty bummed out this morning that yeah, I wasn't hanging out with listeners and with people I work with and friends. I only see once a year. Last year, this morning, you and I had breakfast basically at WWWC yeah. and we were hanging out with Apple people. And mm -hmm. I mean, that was special. And this year, you know, I'm sitting home with the dog, which yep. is fun, but it's not the same. It, it's different. And the the deal is that that's just the world that we live in right now. And I think Apple did a really good job adapting WWDC to this. Now we'll see how the rest of the week goes. They're going to release sessions every morning. And you had to sign up for lab. So like, there's going to be some frustration with the lab thing, I think, from developers. But I think they did a really good job. And I think what they presented is really exciting. I think they're moving forward uh, really well. And, and something that really impressed me was, look, the Mac was the biggest thing of this year. 2020 is the year of the Mac at WBDC. But there was still stuff for the iPad, for the watch, for the phone, HomePod, a bunch of stuff we didn't even get to today. They moved all of the things forward. Past Apple, even a couple of years ago, if this was going to be the, the Mac year, there may not have been anything for the iPad. There may not have been very much for the iPhone. And while some of those are smaller than the Mac, everything got moved forward, and I, I like that a lot. And it does feel like they're walking and chewing gum. I mean, you see those improvements across all platforms. Uh, my concern about Apple over the last several years has always felt like the software was lagging behind the hardware capabilities. And, you know, we're going to have to get these betas installed and try them out and do all this. But it, it feels to me like that, it feels to me like they're making progress. Me too. 
I'm encouraged. I'm excited to be in this this year. I think it's going to be a really fun year ahead as far as Mac technologies and Apple technologies on the whole. And there's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't talk about today that's that's in the outline still. This is going to be a fun story for for a while now. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm going to enjoy the next several months. I'm definitely installing the beta on a laptop and on one iPad, and I'm gonna we'll rep- we'll be reporting back. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. So let us know in the uh, MPU talk forums if there are certain things you want us to dive deeper into. Uh, we did some of this last year. Where we kind of took a subject and went deeper. I like to do that again this year. So let us know if some if there's something out there that you want us to uh, to dig into. And yeah, it's it's going to be a fun summer, David. I'm I'm looking forward to checking out the software, seeing what developers do, and moving forward. Yeah, me too. But in the meantime, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Those forums Stephen was talking about are over at talk.macpowerusers.com. We'll have a thread for the show, so that's a great place to do it. Keep an eye on it, though. Stephen and I will be posting in the forums about our beta experiences and maybe doing some future show planning. And uh, thank you to our sponsors, Miro, Squarespace, SaneBox, and Text Expander. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>